Welcome back. Welcome in to Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com. I am Mike Casaza. It is Monday morning. It's time to welcome in Chris Anderson and put Saturday's win against Baylor to bed. Tradition. Monday morning mailbag, subscriber questions, our answers. Chris, as many questions as answers following the game, before the game, I don't know. Felt like that was a game they had to win. Also feels like that the performance didn't really smooth everything out, but it's certainly better than a loss. That was certainly Neil Brown's thought after the game. Hey, we could have screwed this up. We didn't. That's progress. I think for a while, that's okay. But there are still some issues here that have to be resolved. Probably sooner than later, but I think the next couple of games are kind of friendly, so maybe it's not as urgent as it would seem. But I think that's why we're here. There are a lot of questions about small issues or larger issues for people who want answers and then to some regard, you and I are kind of the same. There's some things that we just don't yet know about this team. Right. After the game, I think when we were discussing before we started recording, it was, uh, you know, in our post-game reaction podcast, it was how do we want to handle this? Because we could have, we agreed we could have gone on for two hours and had an hour of positive stuff and an hour of negative stuff and, and just maybe even a third hour of what, I don't even know what this is. I don't know what the answer is to that. Um, because like you said, that that game, um, raised some concerns, gave you some promise, had a little bit of everything. And there's an off week to pour over it all. So <laughs> enough of us. We've said and written too much. And yet maybe never enough because here we're going to knock out as many questions and answers as we can. And as is custom, whatever ones we don't get to or whatever ones that we've cast aside, they're not being ignored. They might actually be getting special treatment. They'll get elevated into a higher profile. Chris will do an overflow mailbag where he'll write out some answers. And that's good for the folks who like to read rather than listen. There's still some of them out there. So um, keep it up the good fight for there. But let's get underway, Chris. What's our first question? Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I... I was saying I, I might answer these. I'm going to answer these questions in written form and then maybe delete the answers. If uh, we talk about them on here, I might just leave it both so that I can hedge. I can give one answer in written form, one answer on podcast, and I can just be right either way. I think this is this is my new my new move. I kind of like it. Uh, right. Let's start off right off the bat. First question. I kind of liked it. I, it's kind of related to something you have discussed several times. Uh, it's from eBear25. Thoughts on lack of substitutions on both sides of the ball. We want to win games, which means playing our best guys, but there's been a lot of board fury in the past with how lack of substitutions don't develop players. I counted 19 guys total who played snaps on offense, maybe the same number on defense. Um, before we answer, to update, uh, PFF has 17 people playing snaps on offense for West Virginia. Two of those six snaps or less, so basically 15. And then defense, um, 20 players, but three of those were three snaps or less. Uh, so it's basically 17. Um, yeah, the, your the, rules don't, the rules don't change. Like, if you're concerned about this before, you have equal reason to be concerned right now. So just because you have a new coach or a new season or, or whatever, um, it doesn't mean that what was an issue before isn't now. That's not me, you know, flaming anybody. I just think that's normal. Um, and again, those aren't good numbers. They're just not. Some of that, I think have to look at through a 2020 lens. We know James Gamitter was out because he tested positive. Junior Uzebu started the second game and then just didn't play. I'm not sure he was in uniform, was he? Was he on the dress list? You know, he was it on the dress list. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because lots of guys are on the dress list who aren't dressed. So I'm curious about that. Uh, another guy who started the first game is Sam Brown. He's doghoused. Two games he hasn't played. 
you can go down the list here. I mean, Sean Ryan didn't play. Isaiah Esdale didn't play. Those are guys who played last game. I think some of this is just unknown. I don't know if those guys were contact traced. I don't know if they were hurt. There's minimal transparency on these matters, even when you ask. And when you ask, it's not a really great answer. So sometimes you're discouraged from asking. So you just don't know. Um, it, you're, you're looking at a half a dozen players who have played and just didn't play. Don't know why. It's a concern if it's related to that person's buy-in, that person's ability to help the team, um, especially on offense. I mean, you, you basically started 22 people, and I think 11 of them played every snap. That's concerning. So don't have a great answer. Wish I had more, but I think, like, you have to – it doesn't change. Like, if you're not playing people and you're not developing on the field, you know, that's that's problematic. What I would say is the schedule is very weird. Um, you've had a lot of time off and a lot of time to recuperate so far this season. You have an off week next week. You can stretch some guys out more at this stage of the season. The trouble is that time's up because you have three games in a row, a break, and then two more games. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Something like that. I forget. There's seven games left, and it's, there's one break left. So you um you really don't have that time built in. So some of it's just don't know. Some of it is you do know. It's not a good look. It's not a good development right now. Some of it is that you don't have to play some people right now if they're not earning it because you have a schedule that's on your side. So here's my question back to his question and to you. Has to play just to get numbers up. Who exactly are, and you mentioned a couple guys already, but, but who exactly should be playing or would you like to see playing that isn't? Because you're not going to just toss in a guy to say, hey, we got six linebackers playing. No, you're going to only play guys that are game ready, that are going to get ready, that are, yeah, I get you want to develop for the future, but maybe not in a tie game that's going to double overtime. That might not be the time to kind of throw guys in there. Um, so who who exactly are we talking about that should be out there that isn't? I hate to word, use the word should because we're not seeing practice but you know coaches see something different you mentioned contact chasing i have no indication that other people were wiped out by that but you have to consider it because uh, they didn't mention the sean martin thing till we asked specifically about sean martin uh who was wiped out because of contact tracing before so there are other variables but again you have you have specific names mike that you got in mind well we know this that sam brown went astray and isn't playing and that's that's going to hurt his development and that's on him I have no idea what's up with David Vincent O'Coley, but I did not hear great things when he was part of the list of suspended players, where and it was by and large offensive guys for that first game. It just, just seemed like that his name was there, and people were like, Ugh, "I roll." There, there could be disciplinary things there where they're just not going to play those guys because they're not practicing or deserving. But if all things are equal, you'd love to see them on the field. Those are two top talents out there. Um, offensive line is the one that you think about. You're just playing so many guys. I can't think of anybody beyond the six who played and the two who didn't that would be playing. So that doesn't concern me as much. The running back situation is okay. So while I think people are high on Tony Mathis, it doesn't concern me that he didn't play. Defensive line, Sean Martin's going to play. It's kind of out of his hands right now. They said he's behind. Cornerback, we went over. Safety, I thought Jake Long was really good in reserve. And Noah Guzman played about as well as he could um, in kind of an expanded role, maybe a different role too. It's pretty much a nickelback. So I'm not really... I'm not really finding answers there because I think that you're going to focus on a lot of players who are going to give them good snaps and key roles. And then who isn't playing right now, we have explanations for, and to some extent, so you can't do much. But I'll give you an outlier answer that I think is interesting. And then you might 
point a Torres Simmons or a Lamel Carr and Eddie Watkins or guys like that because another body in the defensive line, another body of bandit would be good. I would love to see Garrett Green get into a game. Then I'm going to hang up. Um, speaking of hanging up, you know what? I love that idea too. We've been talking about it, and I we're going to have something funny here, right here on the podcast on, on the podcast live. You, this is completely unscripted. You have no idea what I'm about to do. Um, I'm going to send you something from a someone. Yeah. Um, I want you to read it. Not not out loud, but I want you to read it. And because this is something we've talked about before, where we said, you know, hey, get Garrett Green five, six plays. Because it, it's very painful. I text and I'll talk while you read it. But it, it's very obvious that the offense when Garrett Green in is different. It's a different offense. We saw it against Eastern Kentucky. Um, it, it's more of a mobile offense. I, I said then I would put Garrett Green at quarterback, at not not in the game, but I would set up like five, six plays, and he would rep them with the first team over and over and over and over again, just those five or six plays. And then I'd throw it in there every once in a while. I'd throw it in for a drive. I'd throw it in in a red zone situation if you're getting stuck or as what happened in this game, if you just get stuck, plain and simple, because, you know, Neil Brown said they kind of got in a rut, couldn't get anything going offensively, and his – go-to move in that situation was to go back to his scripted plays from the first drive. I like that idea because, again, they're scripted. It's exactly what I'm talking about. They practice those six plays over and over and over, <clears throat> excuse me, over again. So why not do that with another quarterback that might bring something completely different and really throw off the opposing defense? So I, I kind of like it, and apparently it's not as crazy as a, as a thought uh, that you and I are having, is it? Yeah. <laughs> I was reading it now. It's the timing – the timing does it lines up again um you can't tuck your quarterback in like that they really they kind of put hold him in arranged him in and i think i had him what 12 of 15 or 11 of 15 in the second half which mm-hmm. is good for 70 yards um <laughs> so the ball wasn't traveling they weren't they weren't doing anything his, his vertical isn't there right now his footwork his timing his clock seems aren't wrong and again receivers are are not helping him out a whole lot um for various reasons. Now, again, if you want to expedite the timing and the stuff that needs reps and time and patience to get better, maybe you pour reps into guys like Wheaton and James, and you don't let Ryan and Esdale or Jennings come in and disrupt it because you're still going to play with James and, and Wheaton, for good or for bad, for the majority of the season. So that might be a way to do it. It's a really good question, but I just I, I can't think of anybody that needs to be on the field right now that isn't. I just know they have to have more people in the game for the duration of the season. By the way, I'm in agreement with you on the uh, on the who. Uh, the first two, when I was thinking of this, that was the first thing that popped in my mind. It was who, who are we talking about getting in that isn't? And the first two people I thought of were at those receiver spots simply because, um, you know, Neil Brown has pointed out that that the receivers are not winning one-on-ones and that they're not doing any favors to Jared Dagey. And until they start winning those one-on-ones, this offense is going to be limited in what it can do, no matter what Dagey does back there. So I think if, if you have and you know they're capable of, because we've seen Sean Ryan do it, we've kind of sort of seen Sam Brown do it. Um, those are the first two guys that come to mind for me on who, uh, you know, might deserve a chance, uh, might be the guy that we're talking about here getting playing time. Um, moving on to another question. This is an interesting one. It, it, I'll, I'll let you jump on it first, but this is from Dirty Frank WVU. Maybe this will be answered by the time y'all record but Tony Fields won't be playing in the first half of the Kansas game, right? Question mark. Uh, it would be it would be bold for the Big Twelve to intervene 
and ex post facto eject a guy, I'm not sure it would be wrong. That was a pretty wild hit. And I'll just say this. I thought the officiating was atrocious Saturday. <laughs> like, worst, the, the worst I've ever seen it. I've never seen it that bad on both on, sides. On the second watch, it, was, it wasn't good. The first watch, it, it's hard sometimes because your head's up, your head's down, you're writing, you're thinking – um, but boy, they, they just didn't have control over that game. And just, they, that seemed like they were gun shy as the game went on. Yeah. Um, the play that, that, that Frank is referring to was the over the middle pass. It was a third down and the receiver kind of came across the middle. It, it a drag route. It looked like only three yards from the line of scrimmage. So he was within that area where you can kind of chuck, uh, you know, in basketball, you talk about chucking the, the, the cutter so that they don't get a free run across. And so he's allowed to make contact there, but it was it, it was a vicious hit. And you know, at the time, again, I'm watching this from remotely from TV with everything going on, and 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 the announcer lost it. I, I think that was Orlowski, and he was on the refs both ways all game long. But he lost it right there and said that you know that was launching and head to head and should have been ejected and should have been out next game. And I wasn't sure I was feeling all that. But I was okay with the call because I thought it was a defenseless receiver. The receiver wasn't looking. It was a kind of a dangerous play. And can we follow up on how quickly they – and dragged is the right word – dragged him off the field, that receiver? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was uncomfortable. Like, I mean, he was he was very clearly out of it. Like, he couldn't even walk. And they, like, dragged him out of there. And, and I think, you know, they should have given us some time. If we're going to talk about player safety, holy cow. It was a long game, Chris. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, officials weren't the only one who had a bad moment there. It's true. I neglected to, to remember that. But that was that was kind of concerning there because he didn't seem like he had his feet. Never mind his shoulders underneath him there. Um, let's see. Where do we want to go now? Uh, okay. Objectively. I don't know if we want to do percentages here, but objectively, this is from GD Full. How much of the offensive struggle is on Jared Dagey? After the third turnover in approximately four possessions in the first half, I was begging for Garrett Green to get a shot. Granted, that was being an emotional fan with two beers in him. So what does the rational analyst journalist think? Mike, it's, do you know any rational analysts or journalists that we can ask? Very few nowadays. <laughs> um, it, it probably depends on your level of trust or expectation for Daigie. We can agree he cannot be throwing the ball into quadruple coverage. No. Bad decision, bad throw even. So it's one thing to make the bad decision. It's one thing to make the bad throw on top of the bad decision. Um, are you as punitive on the ball that Terrell Bernard picked off? It's an All-American play. But if you're running RPO and you're pulling it, letting it rip like that, you got to know where that guy is. And if you don't see him, you don't throw it. Because that can happen. It makes a fantastic play. And you might just say, man, that guy got me. And you're not as upset about that one. Um, he got tricked and spooked on a play that I know I've seen on films. So I'm sure they have, too, where Petrie fakes blitz in front of the, the boundary. And the cornerback comes to the field. And then he got smoked. Um, and, again, you're going to get tricked and you're going to get hit sometimes, too. But you got to hold on to the ball. So, again, how, how heavy are you on your judgment there? If you get hit by a really good gotcha play on defense, that's okay. You can't fumble. Um, and then he gives up pressure on the front side to John Hughes. He pump fakes, but just doesn't cleanly handle the ball. So I think some of the, the security things are on him. How much, again, is going to be up to you. I think coaches are going to be pretty heavy on that stuff. So I think he probably went over for 4 there. Um, 
you can only throw the ball as many times as they let you, and you can only throw it as deep as they let you. So his stats are not reflective, I think, of maybe his ability. I think his stats are reflective of how concerned the coaches were. Um, he's not dropping passes, and he put a ball on the money to Sam James in a critical spot at the end of regulation, and James dropped it, so that's not on him. Uh, I thought he got better at the end of the game. Maybe they got him hot with some easy stuff, but, again, a drop, and then he was four for six in overtime, and he finished with four straight completions, so that's good. Um, but I'm looking at, again, we, we've been over this, his final three starts last year and now two out of three starts this year. Not a lot of points, not a lot of yards, not very efficient in the red zone, not very efficient on third downs. There's a common denominator here, and that timer's turned upside down already. <laughs> like, the, like you're, you're being judged on everything right now. I don't know how close the number two is. I'm not even sure who the number two is. But I wouldn't have been surprised if at some time in the second half, maybe even the second quarter, um, they had a sideline report from Rocky Boyman. And they said, guys, Austin Kendall is getting loose on the sideline. Or guys, Garrett Green is getting loose on the sideline because – I, I thought it was it was a bad sign that they were they were really kind of offense around him, and that makes me think that it is him. Grant, you're going to hear this many times. It's never as bad as it seems. It's never as good as it seems for the quarterback. Um, he's got to be able to exist in those conditions, especially if he's going to be there for the long term. You can't keep constantly bending things around your quarterback. Your quarterback's got to be able to bend himself around stuff. So if you got different offensive linemen, you got receivers who are you know not sharp as crisp as on time as they need to be. You're still got to find ways to make it work. And I think they did, but which makes me think that he, he's got the good in him, but it makes me think that they know he's got some bad in him right now they got to exercise. Um, maybe this will be a, a quick answer, but this is from Jake Kelchnier. Refresh my memory on the COVID protocols again. Could James Gamitter be available first Kansas? I don't think it's a guarantee. I know that the 14-day thing is mandatory. So we're lining it up. He should be good to go. But like he's not good practice for two weeks. How do you, how do you is he that good that he's gonna be in shape and ready to go for Saturday? I understand the timeline when people say I would be I would be speculating. I don't know if he's gonna have trouble breathing and coughing. I don't know if he's gonna lose weight because he gets sick. I just don't know what it's gonna be like for him and I don't I don't know how forthcoming he'll be. Hey guys, I lost twelve pounds. He's not I don't think we're gonna see that. So I don't know. I know that a calendar says he can play. I don't know that the university is going to let him. Sean Martin was gone away, and he was contact tracing, right? He wasn't yeah. even sick. He was contact tracing, and he hasn't played yet. Um, I think you're probably less than 50-50 that committer plays. But, again, I'm, I'm speculating. I don't know how it affects him. It affects people differently. You know, if he's having a hard time breathing, maybe, maybe he doesn't have his win back for the first game. Um, if he gets sick and loses a bunch of weight, I'm not sure he'll want to play in the first game. He could be asymptomatic. He could be fine, and he could be ready to go. I just it's 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 speculative. I don't know. Great answer. Uh, right? Yeah, no, I'm great answer because it, it's the same as mine. So it's a fantastic answer, Mike. Uh, mm. it, yeah, it fits the time frame as you mentioned, but we don't know how it's going to affect him. And and the effects that most people do feel are cardio related. So if you're going to be you know, have your stamina wiped out, have a hard time breathing, and then not practice for two weeks. Like, you just could come right back in and hop into a game. And then the flip side of that is maybe if you want to give him a little run, you do it against Kansas instead of against um, Texas Tech or later in the season against Oklahoma State. But I, I would venture the answer is going to be he might be cleared, but I, I don't think he's going to play a very limited role. 
I think would be my assumption here. But again, mm-hmm. like you said, we don't know. We don't know the details on on, yeah. on how it's affecting him. Um, after three games, this is from Believe Year 10. After three games, the coaches should have a good idea what they can and cannot do. The intermediate passing game, especially with the use of a tight end, and Daigie rolling out seems to be two of our better options. What do you guys think they do well? Well, they they <laughs> they ditch the vertical passes. That's not yeah. insignificant because I think they really thought they were going to be able to stretch the field. And when you look at Daigie's numbers now, I don't have it, but I believe he's 3 of 15 on verticals. That's pretty poor. Um, he was 10 of 19 on play action going into the game, and they did they did some deceptive stuff there, and I'm not sure if he was better or worse, but those are you should be better in play action because you're throwing open guys typically, especially as well as they're running the ball. Um, so I'm not sure they do anything well in the passing game right now, except that they their, their completion percentage is good, so I think they have ways to get guys open. And even if you count you know, drops, you're still hitting guys that – they should catch some of these balls. So there's good ways to scheme guys open and you know, they've, they've moved the ball at times. Okay. But when you can't count on your line to be there every game. So we're, we're not even talking about if they're good or not. Look at how many guys have started games, in the offensive line for whatever reason, hard, it's hard to be good. Um, so I'm not even really sure they do know yet. I mean, after three games, you would think so, but we've seen such a mixed bag in various pass run pass block run block outcomes that you're probably going to spend a lot of time this week answering that question so the timing is right there i would think that if you go to it when you let Dave move around get out of that pocket because he's looked interchangeably comfortable and maybe too comfortable as well as uncomfortable in the pocket i like rolling him around i like him in the rpo stuff um i don't want him sitting in that spot because i think he's kind of a he's kind of a gambler you know um he'll roll around he'll make some plays he'll throw it deep and if you keep him on script and, and like make him follow his cues in the pocket, I don't I don't think he's quite as effective. So you give him some degree of difficulty there. Hey, roll out here. Hey, play action. Hey, RPO. I think he's he's probably better that way. Trouble is that Brown said that he's kind of mixed up some mechanical stuff with his footwork and he's tripped up here and he's been sloppy there. So maybe that's not where it should be right now, too. Safe to say that he's just not where they want him to be at the three games. So that's a big part of the offense is the quarterback just – you want the quarterback to lead, but like it's hard for him when he's not out in front of everybody right now. Uh, I'll go with two more questions. The first one I'm going to paraphrase from NC Wayward Ear, uh, kind of about Baylor. Where would you rank Baylor among the Big 12 as far as offense, their offense and their defense? I, th- I think he's trying to gauge, like a lot of us are, how impressive is this win or how excited should we be about the defense shutting them down or how concerned should we be about the offense not moving the ball? Can I ask you this question too? Because it wasn't clear to me during the broadcast and i don't know their depth chart and their starters well enough but they were without five starters is that right uh it wasn't five starters it was two starters and three backups i believe because right. i presumably uh covid protocols contact tracing but yeah it was two starters i think it was a, it was two defensive linemen and then no three starters two defensive linemen and their cornerback the one that i had said was one to watch kalen barnes uh, okay so yeah w you could pick on him and his backup mark milton and barnes was out so it was all milton um, and, and that was, as, as I mentioned in the uh, grades part, that was who Bryce Ford Wheaton caught his touchdown pass in overtime against, was, was an overmatched Mark Milton. So it was, I, I would say it, it was a factor. It, it just was. There's no denying that. But, yeah, I think it was three starters and two backups. All right. It's negligible on the defensive line for two reasons. Um, their 
brand new on the defensive line. Some of their guys are playing for the first time and starting for the first time. But West Virginia's offensive line isn't so good that it's going to dominate anybody on the other side. So that doesn't matter. Cornerback matters, except the quarterback for West Virginia and his receivers just didn't have a good game. So I'm not really sure that matters that much. I would call that a wash. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. Um, and I thought Baylor's defense was very good. Um, when you when you have when you when you build four levels into your defense, and what I mean by that is everybody knows defensive line, linebacker, secondary. Those are your three. But when you build that fourth one in, because you got a hybrid guy who can play a little bit of the third and a little bit of the second, you're you're just able to do more stuff, especially in this conference on defense. So you have four levels almost. They had game changers on defensive line, linebacker, that hybrid spot, and the corner spot. You're going to be good on defense, and you can do that. When you can rely on, you know, four guys, but you can rely on somebody in each level to be disruptive again and again and again, you're going to be all right. They were, they were well coached. They were well prepared. You could tell they knew what was coming sometimes, um, which is discerning, I think, because, or concerning, I think. What does this do? Does that just combine discouraging and concerning? <laughs> that is not what discerning means. My vocabulary is not discerning at this hour. It was discouraging and concerning because they knew it was coming. It looked like they had the snap count a couple times. They were offsides a ton, even though they weren't called, but they were jumping stuff. So they were queued in on things. And again, rewind here. I think you're going to see that. I think teams are going to be very predictable because practice time is at a premium, if not a minimum. And you can hear everything on field copies now, too. So I think you saw a little bit of that. So they're well-coached, they're well-prepared, and they had they had difference makers. William Bradley King was a bully on that defensive line. Uh, maybe not always within the rules, but like he was shoving guys after the play. He was talking play. But he was really good during the snaps. Bernard, we went over. I thought Jalen Petrie was going to be a big-time factor in the game, and he was. And Raleigh Tejada was... A, a solid, solid cornerback, like an all big 12 kind of guy on the field. So um, I think it's good. I think it's going to be better than you're going to see the next three weeks for sure. And similar to last week, we said this, I'm not sure you're going to see a better defense the rest of the way. Here's the wild card though. How much of that was West Virginia's offense? Some of it for sure. Um, their offense is, is media. Um, I, it just depends on what you think about Brewer. Brewer's a winner who couldn't find a way to win that game. That was a game that Neil Brown's version of Charlie Brewer wins, and it didn't work. In fact, he threw the interception. He made the critical mistake at the end of the game. So um, small margin error for that team when you know they couldn't run it and they could not block West Virginia. Um, anything they did play action RPO was a disaster. So how much of their offensive struggle is West Virginia's defense? I would say a substantial amount of it because they couldn't block anybody in blue. Um, defensive line linebacker spots, and that was a get healthy game for the Mountaineers, and they got that one right where they wanted it. Yeah, when I'm when I'm looking at Baylor's roster, and I'm thinking to myself where they rank defense. I'm with you. I th- I feel like they have like four like extremely talented players, like elite level defenders, and then it's a lot of who knows. A, a lot of guys that seemed overmatched out there. A lot of guys that are that are inexperienced. Um, but when you have four elite level defenders and an elite defensive coach, you could be pretty darn good. That's enough to be pretty darn good right there. Mm-hmm. Offensive side of the ball, I would say they're again, just like you mentioned, was that just how good West Virginia was, how well the the defense played? Because if you just look at the names and what they've done in the past, that should be a good offense because Charlie Brewer, all his faults, everything he he's done well. Okay, he was terrible. I felt like yesterday mm-hmm. on Saturday, he was terrible. Um, they got three starters back on the offensive line that missed the season opener. Three, so they had a full complement on the offensive line that 
should be good. An offensive line that many considered to be pretty good coming into the year. Uh, wide receiver, I don't know what's going on with Thornton because uh, he didn't do anything in the Kansas game. He didn't do much of anything in this game. But he's a guy I thought was great. I thought he'd be somebody to light things up. He's way too good for that. Yeah. yeah. And and then running back, they got Lovett and Ebner. So it's it's like this team should this offense should be good, really good. And it really it was terrible. But I think West Virginia had a lot to do with that. So um I would say it's pretty encouraging for West Virginia's defense that they were able to shut down Baylor's offense like that. Uh, I'm not sure about the other way. I think a lot of that was West Virginia's offense just not being very good, too. Well, here's your concern now. Um, Oklahoma State's offense was anemic, but for a reason. I'm not sure Baylor's was – I'm not sure an easy explanation for Baylor's being as bad as it was, apart from the fact that maybe it's just not as good as, as anybody thought. Um, Kansas stinks. Bad offense. Tech's Tech's going to spin it. Kansas State, kind of like their offense. Ugh, I can't believe I'm mm-hmm. saying it. Um, and then you get into, you know, TCU, that quarterback's a, a difference maker. Texas is going to put up points. Oklahoma's going to put up points. And Chris, smoldering remains of Iowa State season with a punchy offense all of a sudden. Um, again, Brock, a really good time to find your defense. Brock Purdy MVP. I told oh. you. I called it. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, man. Well, let's move on to the one I wanted to end on. I thought it was an interesting question because uh, it was something I had noticed as well. This is from Unka Dub. Neil seems much more intense this year and somewhat less easygoing and friendly with the media. Uh, first off, I think he's been just fine with the media, but I do think he's been a little more intense. Um, not with us, but anyway, back to the question. To me, he looks visibly angry after the Oklahoma State game, and after the Baylor game, he seemed almost defiant. Am I imagining this, or do you have this impression as well? Is Neil under some pressure from inside or outside of the program that we don't know about? I'm bad at this for two reasons. One, I think everybody hates me at times, right? Because <laughs> here's why. Here's why. After a loss, if you ask a pointed question, you're negative. And after a win, if you ask a provocative question, why, why can't you focus on the positive? So I stopped caring about that. So I have, I have hardly any sense for this stuff unless like, I hear from somebody directly, which – I've been neither lucky or unlucky enough to have that type of relationship with coaches where they'll they'll find me and say, thought you're out of bounds here. Why are you doing this? Whatever. So I'm not the best source in this. Um, I, I will say I think he's pretty even most of the time. Um, I don't think you can deny the way he's um, acted, behaved, I don't know, appeared, conducted himself. It, whatever the word is, use it there. I don't, I don't want to use a negative word here. But what the way he's been, how about that, after the past two games – it just says what it is. This this team is not playing or handling itself the way he thought. And listen, we can we can crack wise about the offseason Zoom champions and we're going to be better teachers because of all this stuff, whatever. And maybe it was true or maybe it was supposed to be true. It's not. This team just lacks a discipline right now, um, making a lot of repetitive mistakes and preventable mistakes. You know, some of the holding stuff or maybe pass interferences that we've seen, you live with it. And procedure stuff and the personal fouls, the bumping into a punt returner, fumbling, throwing into a quadruple coverage. Those are things that you shouldn't be doing. And I know this because he said this after the second game. And a lot of those things repeated themselves after the third game. So I think that he had really whipped up a plan for the offseason to make the best of a bad situation. 
And he thought that, listen, we can find a way to expedite some mental stuff, some game plan stuff, some between the ears as opposed to between the line stuff. And we'll be better there. And then when we get on the field, we'll take care of that. They're not better in the stuff that he thought they were going to be improved or strong. Um, and that is holding them back. And I think that frustrates him a little bit, too. Uh, number one. Number two, he better be under pressure to win. That's his job. So if he's feeling pressure, I don't know. But, like, he's 2-1 and one right now. That's good. Again, the point that he makes after the game is, hey, we could have lost this. That would have been a miserable place for two weeks. They lost that game. So it's okay to win. Um, and it's okay to be happy that you won to point out that you could have lost it. But, again, 5-7 and seven last year, and you have two fewer opportunities to win games this year. So they're kind of more valuable than ever. Winning is really important. And 2020, in a very 2020 way, has made it harder to rack up wins this year, too, for however many reasons. We've seen really good teams fall. But you have two fewer games. So if you squander games, you're going to pay on the other end of it. So I think you notice is that, you know, time's ticking, window shrinking, whatever, on this season because people are going to catch up to you. And if you're not ahead, it's going to be easier for them to catch up to you. And, again, they're not ahead in the spots that he thought or hoped that they would be ahead in. I, as I mentioned, I sent, I said a little bit more edge this year, albeit not towards us. I, I don't think, I don't feel like it's been defiant, I believe was the word used in the question. Um, but I think it's more just kind of what you're saying that last year he came in, he knew the roster was depleted. He knew he had a lot of holes to fill, didn't have a quarterback, um, had a young team. I can't remember how many scholarship players we said he had to start the year, but it, it was low. Um, and now he's in year two, and despite all the offseason turmoil, uh, that not within the program, but for everybody in college football and sports and the world, but um, he's kind of built this team. It's got some experience now. I think it, it, it's, it's more frustration with him because he knows this team can win. He knows this team can compete uh, with the top of the league. He knows it can beat the middle of the league and should just completely dismissed the bottom of the league. And so far it's been a very frustrating couple of weeks because this team is just completely imploding upon itself. Like it's just a lot of self-inflicted wounds like you're talking about. And it's gotta be frustrating. And I would be frustrated. You would be frustrated. Everybody, you get everybody on our board that's frustrated by what was happening. You're not even coaching it. Your, your job, your livelihood's not on the line when these guys are making the mistakes. Neil Brown's is, so I can understand the frustration and a little more edge this year. I'll add this, too. He holds himself as a player's coach, and um, God, I'm really trying to be careful because I don't want to sound negative. I'm afraid it is, and here I am inside my own head again, as I was talking about before. But he believes he's a player's coach, and you can see that in I mean, everything he's done, whether it's in traditional media, social media, stuff where he talks to you and me, stuff he talks to all the media, whatever. Players are very important to him. That's the job of the head coach. And think about what's happened so far this year. He's had to suspend 11 guys. He likes a lot of those 11 guys. He said so much as right after the game was in. and said, love those guys, going to need them. They're all reinstated right away. Number one. Number two, um, guys who aren't playing right now, and we're talking Esdale, Ryan, Brown, um, trying to think of other people, Vincent O'Coley, the handful of people that we don't know about, but they were there and they weren't, it probably hurts. It probably hurts a head coach to do that stuff because you want the best for him and you know you got to hurt him to help him sometimes, number two. Number three, he likes James Gamitter an awful lot. And when Gamitter gets bit by the bug and has to sit out a game, that's a bummer. And then not only that, but it affects a lot of people around him. Um, and I think he really wants to win for the fans. And he knows, he knows that 27 points isn't going to do it. 
13 points isn't going to do it. He knows that that scoreboard is his biggest friend and also his biggest enemy. And for whatever reason, he can't get it up there right now because, by and large, the quarterback. Who does he like a whole lot? The quarterback. And guess what? He liked Austin Kendall a lot, too. And he had to make a hard decision last year. So these things all take a toll on people at different times. So, uh, And sometimes you can see it really easily. But if you step back from you know the 1,000 yards there, you can see a lot of things right now that just would bum him out that maybe things he doesn't want to do, maybe things he has to do. Um, and again, when you're not scoring a lot of points, even when you're winning, that's that's a hard thing for a guy who is renowned for his offensive abilities, especially in this this year two for him where that's kind of the Neil Brown trademark. I don't know how it became his trademark. He's only had one year or two before, but he certainly turned around Troy in his second year. And I think it's slower and harder to turn around at this level, but also with the amount of things he's working against here too. Mike, do you feel slighted in post game? Do you think he's being mean to us? Again, I have no feel for it. Like I think he gives me I think he gives me long and elaborate answers to my questions, which is cool. So that's fine. But like I heard I heard him say one thing like, Hey, we threw the ball to the tight ends because I know you guys wanted to see that. <laughs> well, that's nonsense. Come on. Don't put it yeah. on us, right? You throw it to tight ends because it was there. Because Baylor was just barnstorming around the corner. And, hey, throw it out in the flat. It's going to be there. So that was smart football. That was good. But um, And, again, telling people that, like, I want this to be the headline or I hope this is your focus. We could have lost this game. We didn't. That's a hard thing for reporters to write, you know, and they're, they're very black and white. They're very, you know, ARF, you know, as we like to say. And to say, you know, they, they won a game they could have lost. After you lost the game, you could have won. I guarantee you that people are going to focus on why like, this team just isn't quite good enough. And they've, they've had two similar outcomes or two similar performances. The only difference is they lost one, they won the other. Are they better because they won the second one and not lost the second one? Maybe because of sequential order there. But if you flip them around, is it discouraging that you won the first one, lost the second one? Probably. So that's, that's kind of where people are in this right now is that you've had two similar games in a row and you're one on one because of it. By the way, again, to reiterate, I don't think he's being mean to us. I just wanted to ask. No, Mike. I don't get that. I don't I, get I, that. I, 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 Mike's got feelings. I don't want Mike's feelings to get hurt. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, I, I imagine it's difficult for for him to be mean to you on the the teleconference, and then you have to go host his fan club meeting. So, I, I don't want you to get get upset, Mike. Yeah, the muffins would not be well received. <laughs> that breakfast well uh, i do have feelings chris and i have a feeling that we are out of time here you're gonna address the rest of these in an actual printed version we'll be back with uh plenty of action during an open week um save some stories from last week should get some more from neil brown when we talk to him today and then again tomorrow and then we'll find a way to fill the hours one way or the other that's right i'll have mountaineers most wanted coming up this week uh you know two big commitments for west virginia in uh High school recruiting might be kind of coming to a close after those two because I think there yeah. were three, maybe four spots that West Virginia needed to add a guy, and then they added uh, two of them. You know, so it, it, it's it's getting tight. Uh, not many options left. Not no new offers going out. Usually that happens. And uh, Neil Brown basically admitted uh, when during one of the teleconferences that they kind of had a focus on a lot of guys that were already committed elsewhere and a plan to kind of bring them in and try to flip them. Uh, and I say he basically admitted because he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, um, it's going to be harder to flip with no visits and through the end of the year, they're not going to be able to flip guys that like they had hoped. Um, so I think yeah. he had an attention. There were a lot of guys that on the first day of official offers going out, 
they were already committed elsewhere, and West Virginia is still sending them official offers. And I think they had a, an, a plan, a hope to flip some of those guys, and it's just not going to happen now. So, um, a little, some recruiting updates, uh, kind of look forward towards the season, and then uh, lick my wounds on the charity bets after just a just a god awful horrendous week. Uh, I feel oh. like every time every time I brag about a winning week, I come back with an offer, and and that was just a that was a painful one, a very painful one this week. So get was, your jokes in later, Mike. Don't it was, it was bloody. No, it, it was it was bloody. It was bad <laughs> for everybody. We get that. It's uh, tough business, Chris, but we'll carry on. That's all for this time. We will see you next time for earsports.com. I am Mike Assassin. And I'm Chris Anderson. We will talk to you later.